so it says we're live. Hello, Internet. Hello, Internet. I still have a status bar. Okay, we're good. We're <laughs> on and popping. Awesome. So this week for episode 178 of Outrage Factory, I have with me Mr. Wesley Scott. Um, yeah, just about. We were talking about it right before the podcast because all the social media has his middle name in it. So I always I refer to him as Wesley David Scott, all three names, because I Wesley feel like it, David Scott. It makes you names. feel uh, more professional. It makes it, it sounds like Sir Wesley David Scott. Like if if somebody's knighted, you always say the middle name too. Yeah. So it always reminds well, me. I am that. I am uh, blessed with having three first names in that sense, and I have been mistaken <laughs> for all three on a regular basis. So. That's that's funny because it's like you know how you're not supposed to trust someone with two first names. I feel <laughs> like if you have three first names, it kind of just shoots through the black hole, and you could trust them yeah. again. Just triple well, down, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I could trust you, so I'm going to well, say that's you. a sound theory. Yeah. It's the beard, you know. Margaret Thatcher had this thing about not trusting men with beards, but I think she was quite mistaken. So. Yeah, she's obviously hasn't been around for the last five years because uh, <laughs> she could trust like what two people who don't yeah. have beards. I don't know if you call this a beard. I call it my per- my um my spanks for my double chin is what I a use it as. Scruff. Yeah, I it's it's just to cover the double chin because I hate it it's itchy and yep. it's uncomfortable especially in the summer oh, really yeah. i don't mind beards i think the neck beard is where the problem is it's, oh yeah uh, that's the issue yeah i think it's, it's just because i get hot and sweaty at work and the masks weren't helping anything like no. as soon as i got any like a little bit longer here it's just like ugh. i used to have one yeah. about to here and i had oh, this wow. nice wave going nice it was uh it was tricky yeah i had the <laughs> wizard going on the full wizard beard dope speaking of mass have you uh been out in the world raw dogging it yet since on july 1st they lifted the mask thing you know we've been indoor kids for the last two years pretty much uh, my partner and i and uh you know i have uh two doses now and of pfizer and and my partner has one pfizer Um, yeah and uh Generally speaking, you know, double vaxxed and relaxed, but nice. I, uh, I feel hesitant still, especially with mm. all this talk about the Delta variant. And I know that's me being paranoid a bit, but I was at the dollar store today uh, for the first time in a while. And I was just walking around and I saw about half the people not wearing masks. And I was just like, Jesus Murphy, stay the hell away from me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, again, if the vaccine numbers are there, if mm-hmm. public opinion is starting to shift, whatever. I mean, I- I'm a musician. I go by the stage name of Zulu Panda, for those who don't know. Um, and I have toured across Canada, a bit of the United States and China. And I love performing and being with people and, and being in public spaces. And I haven't been for the last two years. And it's made me this crazy hermit man. And I'm very excited <laughs> about touring again. But at the same time, I am paranoid. Um, but uh, we'll see how it goes. That's that's all I can say for now. So. Yeah, I would say out here, because I, I live in Burnaby, uh, full disclosure. Wesley, you're in Vancouver, right? South then? Yep. And uh, in Burnaby, everybody's still wearing the mask, except for like, because I went to the mall today and I'm, I'm not wearing the mask because I'm like, I got two vaccines. It's been like, almost a month since I had my second dose. So it's like, let me free. But 
if I go to a store and they still have a sign up that says that they need a mask, then I'm like, well, I don't, I'm not like, so I want to be free and not wear the mask that I'm willing to get in like a little awkward altercation. So I'll just pop it on and then go to that store and then take it off when I go out. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I, I think the, mall, the thing we have yeah. to get past right now is just like beating on each other. Like we were mm. ages ago. You know, I yeah. mean, the regulations are the regulations. If somebody's not following the regulations, fine, crack down on it. But, mm-hmm. you know, if, if they are vaccinated, if we have an open, uh, what is it, an open face policy, um, <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. It, it's, I mean, you can't blame people for following, you know, the regulations we have. It's, uh, yeah, exactly. But at the same time, too, get out of my space. You know, there was this guy today who was, he was about, you know, I don't know, like two steps behind me. And I'm like, get back. Like, yeah. But uh, again, probably me being paranoid. I'm and outdoors, it's it's supposed to be fine for most things at this point. That's what I heard, at least. Um, I have to be honest, I haven't listened to the Bonnie hearings, uh, mm-hmm. Bonnie uh, presentations in a little while. Doctor. Well, they're, they're not is. that clearly worded if you're looking for it to clear things up for you. They're yeah. a little bit a uh, little uh, lawyer ease when it comes to straightforwardness. Well, and I think the, the, the position the BC government in particular, but I would imagine most can- of Canada and the world is at this point is about mitigating crisis. So mm-hmm. uh, people are still going to get COVID, obviously. So the yeah. question is, uh, how can we limit it to a point at which our hospitals can handle it? Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's the policy. So, and, you know, they got to keep businesses going and they got to keep people at least uh, satisfied yeah. enough. So. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the this, uh, one of the hardest things for people to do is because it feels like everybody felt like they're personally deputized as a sheriff to with yeah. to like uphold all the uh, yeah. mask mandates and like the where's your mask? all that stuff. Exactly. Being like and everybody's just kind of got to let go of that. And they're not really because everybody got like a little bit of taste of the power. And it's like and I got to admit, like when I see somebody doing something wrong, it takes every ounce of my being to like hold it back like 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 if some like another example is um someone has their dog off leash in an on leash trail and you're like oh like <laughs> like the dog's just going in the rivers wrecking the spawning areas and stuff and it's like don't you guys see the signs and then you're like oh i'm i'm just the cantankerous old man now great <laughs> those clouds <laughs> um yeah i don't yeah. know like uh, i it's I'm the type of guy who likes uh, walking around with a cold brew uh, around outside. And yeah. you know, the fact that I can't do that in many places in Vancouver, for instance, bugs me. Um, but at the same time too, you know, you, it's a question of how much are you going to respect rules and how important those rules are, obviously. When it comes to masks and stuff, it's like, again, we have the policies, we're doing this thing. If you don't like it, stay away from people. Like, that's a big thing, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I'm, that's that's kind of a stupid, uh, crappy thing to say, but uh, you know you can still maintain social distance. You know, I mean, yeah, you can't like, in certain areas, like the, on the bus or the airport. Yeah, time, but nobody's forcing you to fly to Tahiti right now. <laughs> I feel like the personal distance is the one I'm gonna let go of last because I yeah. just I don't know what it was. Like, I guess I've always kind of not liked people in my space. I guess everybody's like that, but it's just like having 
people never be that close to you was always nice. Yep. And it's like, and it's, but it's also kind of weird because it kind of hyper stimulated your like spider sense, I guess you could say, yeah. because like, like you're saying, there's a guy two steps behind you and the whole time you're like, Oh, what's going on? What's he yeah. doing? Like, why are you so close to me? And then like, you'll be in the store looking at someone and something and like someone will walk up beside you to look at something you're like well obviously this guy wants to murder me so it's going to yeah. be a fight to the death in 10 seconds and you're like, oh yeah. wait he's just getting close and it's like on one hand it's so nice to be like just go like this and in public and be like ah oh, so much space and like yeah. not smelling people's bad breath or bo that's really good too like no oh, i can't like, imagine what yeah. it's going to be like going back into a mosh pit for instance it's oh gonna be... i think i'm done I think I'm yeah. too old for mosh pits. <laughs> 40, 41. I'll hang it up. I'm sorry. Maybe, Check. maybe on the odd wedding, if I'm a little sauced up and I'm feeling extra dancey, I'll get into the mosh pit. But I think for now I'm going to retire because it's like skateboarding. Like I quit skateboarding when I was about 30. Like I was never good at it, but I quit riding one because it's just like you get to a point where like, all right, if I do injure myself, there's no justifying it. Like if I'm yeah. in a mosh pit and I twist my ankle bad enough that like I have to skip work, they'll be like, so what happened? You'll be like, well, I was in a mosh pit. And they'll be like, well, aren't you an adult? And you'll be like, well, yeah, <laughs> but it was a aren't really jamming tune. <laughs> Don't you know better? Oh my goodness. Mm. Oh, well, Dale, Speaking, before yeah. we get into things today, I do yeah. want to start off by saying that you are in rare form in the sense that you have chosen the least qualified person to talk about any of these things with. I am oh, not an athlete. That, I neither am I. not on TikTok. Uh, mm. I don't smoke a whole lot of weed. Um, and I'm not a person of color or indigenous. And so we have selected <laughs> some topics today, mm -hmm. which I think that uh, potentially we are unqualified to talk about. But I am willing to wade into the waters and give it my best go in the progressive orange sense that uh, I bring to the table. Okay. The only section I got you beat there is I have a TikTok account, but I hate it. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't hate my account. It's funny because I like I'll go on TikTok because I put like clips of all the podcasts on. So like I'll do minute clips. Oh, and TikTok's going to three minutes. So yeah, that's, that's okay. Before we get bad. crazy about it, yeah. TikTok. Mm -hmm. Why are all the videos that I see that I guess people are reposting? Why are they all out of sync audio wise? Oh, they are? None, they're yeah. not for I me. I swear, like, 50% of the videos I see that people upload to Facebook or Twitter, the audio is out of sync with the mouth movements. It might be that you're seeing them somewhere else. Like, it might be, like, the transfer from... Because if you're looking on Facebook and not in the app, I would tell you to, like, open up the app to look at those, but I don't want to do that to you. So it's just um, a garbage download, basically, is what you're saying. It's, it's also a garbage app. And it, it might have something to do with the hardwiring of even the app or like like it, the translation from TikTok to Facebook and stuff. Like it's not one of those things where people are like, if the engineers in charge were like, there's a latency, they would like rip it all down or rebuild it just to get rid of it. I feel like that's something that they'll just let go. But I haven't noticed the latency thing. Fair enough. But, well, um, yeah. 
yeah it's just my crappy phone i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah it could even be your phone or yeah but um yeah so they're going to three minutes which will kind of be nice because it'll make like a heftier clip for the podcast because some of them i've had to edit down to be under the minute barrier and then they get kind of choppy but that's like the style that the kids like nowadays is the super choppy like yeah. you watch any of well, these but at that at that level of video editing though yeah you're basically making mini movies and mm. the amount of energy that goes into some of this production is just incredible i mean that especially that one guy was at the he did all the uh, the funny facebook um uh, marketplace conversations. Uh, Lubalin, I believe it is. He's out of Montreal. Just the funniest guy. But the yeah. amount of production for like a minute video it just blows mm-hmm. my mind. And, it does uh, take a while. Yeah. Hey. hey so uh, on topic, this this guy who's been recruited. Um, uh, the NHL. Uh, sorry. The NHL names the 19 year old TikToker as a special advisor. Josh um, Richards. Josh Richards. Have you mm-hmm. followed this guy's TikTok before? I when I saw that the NHL was hiring someone to do dumb videos and it wasn't me making a whole bunch of money. Of course, <laughs> I was mad enough to go search him out and be like, what's this guy got that I don't got? And he's very pretty. So I give 40 it to him million, like, 40 million yeah. followers pretty. And he's a very handsome fella. And I'll give him that. And he's the guy, his name is Josh Richards. I'll give you a little background. He's the guy who started the Sway House in LA, which was he basically, like this guy's a marketing genius, actually, if you think about it. Like he's, his videos are dumb. It's like him lip syncing to videos and like doing like quasi interviews. But he he's like a hyperdrive marketing guy. Like he started Sway House in LA, which was, he got, it was basically, they rented a mansion and they would throw parties and he just invited a whole bunch of TikTok influencers and stuff to live there so that they could kind of like feed off each other and do challenges and stuff and up their TikTok numbers. Then he started cross check media with Mark Wahlberg. I didn't look into that. These are just some of the things he started. They started an energy drink and he <laughs> he started a podcast with Dave Portnoy and that called BFFs and they do that and everybody knows who Dave Portnoy is. So attaching your name to him, like you would think it would hurt your brand, but he just got hired by the NHL. And the first thing he did with the NHL was an interview with Gary Bettman. And it's, uh, I just watched a couple seconds of it on YouTube and it's about as cringy as you would expect it to be. It being wow. Gary Bettman. So, yeah. Um, the so do you think big, he yeah. deserves the role. Do you think, He's going to be good for the NHL. Do you think he's going to get young people interested in hockey again? Oh God, I don't know. I don't, I think like, it's not going to hurt like 40 million followers is a substantial number. And the fact that he's just talking about hockey is going to introduce a lot of people be like, who maybe like never knew about hockey, be like, Oh, I like hockey, but it's also this thing where he's got 40 million viewers. So he's one of those people that's, popular enough that people hate him without knowing anything about him just because he's popular. Like, I don't know what you would call it. Maybe the Nickelback effect where oh. it doesn't matter if you like, like or hate what they provide. It's just that they got so popular and you were kind of introduced to it against your will. So it was like forced upon you that you start hating them. So maybe it'll drive some potential viewers to hockey, but like hockey, NHL's TikTok is very 
on like it's like I'd never seen the TikTok, the official NHL TikTok. So I went and looked at that, too. And it's all like um, young and hip and like abrasive and obnoxious and like hip hop. I don't know. It's like it's so hard to like put your finger on what it is. But it's like once you watch like one or two videos, you know exactly what it is because it's just like all those other like obnoxious videos and stuff that are on there. They should really own it and make it like a really throwback 1990s uh, America's Funnest Funniest Home Videos clip series. Oh my and God, that'd be like, the best. Have like hockey bloopers and stuff. <laughs> and then like, have the like, boy, yo, 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 noise yeah, and exactly. like, whoop, when a guy yeah. slips, that would Pow. be. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to edit this out. You're going to start that TikTok and you're oh going to make a million dollars. It'll be like, it'll be like NHL bloopers with Wesley. And then you could be like all over the top. You'd be like, hi, my name's Wesley. You're ready to see some clips about the NHL. Zany dad hockey. <laughs> oh my goodness. I already hate myself. Oh my God. That would be so fun. Maybe I should do it. Yes, you should. <laughs> we yes. should just pivot this podcast to just be like over the top <laughs> oh man get some young viewers i yeah. i am surprisingly excited about hockey this year i mean i am oh, not yeah. a hockey guy but you know the the few games i have caught i've just been really enthusiastic about and mm. carrie price is a class act and i just really enjoy his playing and his attitude towards life so it's uh yeah, it's been intriguing, if nothing else, for the uh, indoor kid that I am. It's been unfortunate, the three games against Tampa, because it was like the Habs were like the underdogs. They were doing they were like basically punching above their weight. and They're just pull, heading out on top and doing good. And then they ran into Tampa and it was like they ran into a brick wall. But yeah, that happens like Tampa is the returning champions and. They're like 18 million over the cap that they were to be the returning champion. So it's like, I know everybody, I'm not going to get into it because I talked about it before, like how they had <laughs> Kucherov who wasn't on the roster in the regular season, but they got him after this uh, for just the postseason. So his salary cap didn't count to get to the south or his salary didn't count for the salary cap. So they basically made their team up to 85 million or whatever it was. And then they had two guys come in whose salaries were 18 million so they're like way over that's how they got over it's not against the rules it's a loophole thing so everybody who's like the question here so like you and i are talking about this we are Mm. uh not of the tiktok uh market uh share that they're Mm. referring to with this young fella how is he gonna make this conversation we just had relevant to 19 year old audiences like that's the thing i i mean I TikTok is so quick and uh, yeah. you know witty or stupid. How are you going to make hockey, which is a game that's invested over a period of time with multiple players and people talking about fantasy leagues and stuff? You know how is that gonna how is that gonna merge and mesh with TikTok in any sort of reasonable way? Do you think this kid's got any longevity working for the NHL? Uh, no, I don't think this has any longevity because, like I said, he's like a hyper marketing guy and all the things that he does like he'll get into one thing like the sway house is already done like he did that for a bit and then as soon as it cooled off he jumped out and jumped into something else like that's the problem is the nhl is 
it's like of all the of the four major sports, it's one of the ones where people get invested in. Like people's favorite teams are the same team as their dad. Like I like the Oilers because my grandpa liked the Oilers. Like I, I swayed around. Like I'm I'm an I'm not a normal fan because I was like a fan of the Oilers when I was a kid. Then I was a fan of the Canucks. Then I went back to the Oilers because I'm like I'm unashamedly a fair weather fan. Like as soon as the team sucks, I'm like, all right, guys, like you're not giving me investment dollars. And so I went back to the Oilers and stuff. But most people who are like they pick a team and they're ride or die with that team forever. So some like 19 year old kid coming in and being like all finger snaps. That just made me sound so old. This guy, he like snaps his finger, snap, snap, snap. And then, <laughs> so I think it'll like, it might, it'll like, the hope I have for it is that it kind of shows some kids the tip of the iceberg. And then they see it, like they get exposed to the NHL. And then they're like, oh, what's this? I'll look at it. And then they kind of go off on their own and get more invested into it. Um, Has this I kid th- outed himself for which team he likes? Oh yeah, he's a Toronto hack, which oh, is right. obnoxious. It's like if you're a football yeah, I read fan he was from Toronto. Yeah, okay. um, I think he also. I saw him like uh, he was wearing a Tampa Bay Lightning jersey. So he's obviously one of the. He's like, he's like, I'm a Fairweather fan, so I can't give him too much shit. But it's like he's a championship Fairweather fan, so he likes whoever's doing really good at the moment, so he doesn't have to cheer for someone who's losing. So it's, that's like, yeah. The other thing for Toronto fans is it's, I mean, you've, you've read the, what is it? The hockey sweater, um, that classic story. Uh, oh uh, yeah. So it's like, if you're a Habs fan, you can never cheer for Toronto. If you're <laughs> a, a Toronto fan, you can never cheer for the Habs. It's mm-hmm. um, I just feel like there's a lot of that in Canada. I, I personally, again, indoor kid, don't have a team preference. Grew up watching a bit of the Oilers, met Gretzky once. Um, oh, really? Uh, moving to Victoria and subsequently Vancouver. Uh, you know, I enjoy the Canucks, but I mean, it's hard not to be a Fairweather fan with the Canucks. Um, <laughs> but I do have a soft spot for Montreal. I, yeah, yeah. I really enjoy Montreal. Um, they are the league's winningest team. Like, they have the most Stanley Cups of any team in the NHL. And they are, when the league started, I guess everybody who listens to this will probably know, but. They're an original six team, and that means like, oh, 100 years ago when the NHL started, there was only six teams. It was Montreal, Toronto, Chicago, New York Rangers, Boston Bruins. Who did I miss? I don't know, man. You're talking to an indoor kid. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Oh, Detroit Red Wings. There we go. In the days of yore when hockey was young and no one wore helmets. Yeah, so I don't know. I feel like there should be like a highlights TikTok for the NHL. Like you could just go on and like that's how NHL would lean itself to um, TikTok. Like uh, the way Don Cherry had Rock'em Sock'em Hockey, but it's just like not necessarily clips of hits because they don't want to like glorify hits as much as they used to. But like you could do goals and stuff like yeah, well, I mean, sports yeah. bloopers are uh, achievement. You know, remember those VHS tapes back in the, the glory days, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, you just need like a TikTok that's basically, basically you need the America's Funniest Home Video model to come back in a TikTok yes. setting and you'll just make a million bazillion dollars. So there you go. 
You you could be the next Bob Saget, Wesley. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, <laughs> not with these looks, but yeah. Um, um, what is so uh, going into our next topic, which uh, I think is relevant. I just want a quick segue. Yeah. What? How does the NHL feel about weed gen- generally? Marijuana, pot, uh, cannabis. I'm pretty sure. Well, in the eighties, the NHL had a huge coke problem. And it was kind of went under the radar and they never told. So I think the NHL is kind of old school where I could be wrong, but I feel like they kind of have a don't ask, don't tell policy with like weed. Cause Mm. I know some of like, there's always jokes about like the young kids in the training camp, smoke weed and stuff. And I know there's jokes about Steve Eiserman blasting dubs, but he's not a player anymore. So I would say off the top of my head, not having any like evidence yeah. to back this up. I'd say the NHL is okay with weed. So it's interesting by contrast that the Olympics have such strict regulations regarding uh, yeah. weed and, and, and I suppose drugs and, and even body composition in general. Um, yeah. You know, of course, we're talking now about uh, Shikari Richardson, uh, who's basically going to have to miss the Olympics. Yeah, I, I think it was either Shikari or Shikuri, uh, but I think Sh- uh, Shikari uh, is the pronunciation I found. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, Shikari Richardson's to miss the Olympics because of basically smoking a dube, as you said. Um, and, it's, and it's tragic because uh, she said her official statement was like, I know what I did. I know it was wrong, but I was, my mother had passed away recently and I was using it as a coping mechanism. And you're like, Oh, just let yeah. her play in the Olympics. Well, and again, the, the statement that really hit me is, is I'm only human. I just run a little faster. <laughs> That's a and good like, statement. Even yeah. like Biden said, for instance, that, you know, rules are rules, but at the same time too, he said that, you know, he thought that her statement was was very uh, well 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 delivered. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, unless you're Joe Biden's son who smokes crack, he's not going to let you get away with it. Like he fired a whole bunch of people in his party who smoked weed. But I think one of the things is like it's like now if you look if if they made all these rules today, they probably wouldn't have weed for the Olympics because they're so much of like at least North America where it's legal, but you got to remember the Olympics are international where drug, some countries drugs are so illegal. You'll like get the death penalty for trafficking and stuff. So you can't really be like, well, this runner from the U S smokes some weed. So we should let her get away with it. Where in a different country, like, I don't know, some. Yeah. And I mean, Canada's other, yeah. already been talking about this for years. I mean, of mm-hmm. course, with uh, the snowboarder, Ross Ribiotti, I believe his name is. Right? Yeah. Ribiotti. It's a hard one. And yeah. it was like 20 years ago, so I can't remember. Well, and again, that's it. So we've been having this discussion for ages and now it's mm-hmm. in an American context and not only an American context, but regarding a, a woman of, uh, of color. And uh, so it's it's it's. A question of whether or not this is uh, also a bias or if mm-hmm. um, this is just uh, too stringent of a policy. I don't know about you, but the times I have been high, there is no way I'm running about. Uh, <laughs> I, I am useless. Uh, you know, I might stumble and get a pizza, but I'm not going anywhere. You know, yeah. it certainly isn't enhancing my ability to run. Um, well, 
the thing is now, like that was like when I smoked weed when I was a kid, like I just whatever somebody had, I would smoke it. And then I would have an existential crisis and I would have to worry about my life choices and stuff. But now the way they have it now, it's like the weed they have is you they have like um, I can't remember what it's called, like the. The layman's terms is they have couch weed and um, do stuff weed. So it's like there's some weed that like makes you more energetic and it makes you concentrate a lot more. So I heard like a lot of basketball players will smoke weed so that they can focus on the geometry of the game and their shots and their technique more. So in that sense, I could see how it would be. Um, the chemistry of cannabis like, is not something I know much about, yeah, but uh, I, I could definitely you know. see how it would be an unfair advantage for like, say she smokes weed and then someone from like the country where weed is like pretty much a death sentence. There's no way they're getting it, it could give her yeah. an unfair advantage. And I think another thing, like I was saying before, if they made these rules now, it would be probably wouldn't be illegal. But when they made these rules, like if you look at the list of stuff that's banned for the Olympics, like alcohol's on there and stuff too. And well, and this was something I wanted to talk to you about as well. Mm. So I, I mean, again, this, this is kind of weird. We should be talking to people in the black community about how they feel yeah. about these issues, of course. Um, but there is a special swim cap that was designed for people who, uh, of, uh, African American, uh, um, uh, being who uh, have a uh, special sw swim cap needs for their, for their hair. Mm -hmm. And this model of swim cap is not allowed in the Olympics. And so um, the, the question is whether or not these policies are uh, up to date with modern specs, or are we still going back to the specs that were used in the 1940s, for instance, you know, why, yeah, why are Olympic yeah. specs? Why do we, why do we have these ridiculous specs for the Olympics all the time? Uh, mm -hmm. and I think, are they I just think being it's, used yeah. for certain people. I think what it is is they like they had like the thing with the Olympics is the actual event is only four years. So probably changing anything like the swim caps, like I'm just spitballing here. Like I don't know what like the secret backroom like reasoning for not letting the swim caps go through is I think it might have something to do with just like the approval um rate to get something like this pushed through would be so long and dealing with the bureaucracy of the Olympic committee. Like that's what I'm hoping it is. I'm not, I'm hoping it's not that they're just not approving these because of the athletes that need to use them. And it's some sort of prejudice. I'm hoping that it's just like they're slow bureaucrats and they can't just approve yeah. something. I think the truth of the matter is, is that the Olympics are regimented to a fault and that they yeah. have not taken into account their own prejudice even with regards to um you know the development of future policies it's just very stagnant and rigid and they add policy as opposed to adapt policy mm. um i mean that's my speculation i'm not necessarily informed i've never worked for the olympics and i'm not a marginalized individual uh i am this the podcast who's on the couch this podcast is about making educated guesses yeah well, that's I'm, the nicest way i could ass. say it. Like, let's let's face it i'm talking out of my ass yeah. when it comes to this but at the same time, too, yeah, I mean, were you in Vancouver during the Olympics? No, I lived here before and I left and then I came back after. Yeah, I came back so in like, 13. Even during the Olympics, they put so many uh, restrictions on the city. Like if you wanted to protest the Olympics, you had to protest in special protest zones um, mm -hmm. that were so far away from everything. Uh, and like 
I loved the 2010 Olympics. That was right, man. That was fun to see. Uh, I was in Victoria at the time, but people were celebrating like mad and it was great to watch. But, you know, they basically bust out all the homeless people from Vancouver and there were very mm. strict policies on the city in order to make things happen. And so there's huge restrictions on the players. There's huge restrictions on the cities. There's huge costs to everyone involved. And uh, I don't know, I find, I find the Olympics very frustrating. So I kind of yeah. confine myself to like, very specific sports watching for the olympics because otherwise it just get like oh my god so much wasted corporate mess so yeah and it's like the athletes don't get paid so there's that yeah. whole thing you can get into and it's like there's so much i don't know it's like you could have like you could start outrage factory olympics and have like I don't know, like 30 episodes just talking about all the stuff with the Olympics. Sorry, yeah. my light keeps, I think my light's going. The, the strobe and show. it just like goes orange because you could set the different color value for it. So there's like blue, orange, 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 orange. And it just like, I guess it's just like what happens when you buy a $35 light from uh, Costco is it just switches color on you. Well, it's and certainly just, better than this. Uh, secondhand lamp i have that uh, is literally just baking me in yellow right now so well it makes you look tan though yeah for once it doesn't know. wash you out like this lamp is for <laughs> me <laughs> and at least it like it's staying the same color and not yeah. making your forehead shiny like mine is i it's mean a good glow it's a good glow. yeah thanks i uh, yeah. i uh i like it a lot she this uh, uh, Shikari uh, Richardson, she she was talking about uh, with such optimism that she was going to be back running and going to be coming back to the Olympics in the future. And I thought that was mm -hmm. a great way to look at it, too. And I think she's a, a remarkable athlete. I think that the time too just blew my mind as well. I can't remember the exact number, but, you know, I just it's really it's she's a motivating figure and uh, mm -hmm. I, I really think that it's good for people to have that i mean she's only 21 she's she's going to go far i think one way or another be it on her feet yeah. or in life okay. i mean i do have to admit that i haven't seen her run because her event is the 100 meter dash and i think which wait that's the one is that the one that donovan bailey was in and I um, so. he was in a couple but yeah yeah i i, th I feel like 100 meter dash is or sprint whatever it's called is like the drag racing of the olympics pretty much but that said i'm still not as such a big fan of the olympics that i'm watching the 100 meter sprint like it takes a guy like donovan bailey or usain bolt for me to even hear anything about the sprinting and the running like i couldn't name like donovan bailey's like crazy what? fast yeah, Donovan Bailey's from like 15 years ago, maybe. And like yeah. the next reference I have is Usain Bolt and then Shikari. And like those are my three references because yeah. I know no other ones except for who was that disgraced Canadian guy? Ben something? You know, again, indoor kid. I'm just going to plead ignorance here. <sighs> there was a guy who was like from Canada. He was super fast. And then he got busted taking steroids. And then they stripped his medal and stuff. And I can't for the light. Was that Donovan Bailey? No, it was Ben yeah. something. Ben, Ben. It was like when we were kids. This is, I'm yeah. going to Google it because it's, uh, I'm not going to be yeah. able to get over this. You know how and it I mean, is. The other thing too, is that, you know, when it comes to these things, these people spend their whole lives, you know, training for these, these very short term events. And, 
you got to give them, you know, credit for mm-hmm. just how committed they are to it all. I mean, so um, Shikari Richardson, her time was 10.86 seconds. And I mean, I can't even fathom how fast that is. <laughs> I, I want to say Donovan Bailey was uh, I like the eight second mark, but I don't know if that's true or not. That's nuts. Uh, we could go- here. I'll Google it. Oh, by the way, that uh, sprinter I was thinking of was Ben Johnson. I'm going to look up Donovan. So Donovan Bailey was 9.84 seconds. Okay. Do you have Usain Bolt there too? I can. Okay, here, I'll do it. Um, 100. Are you so looking his, that up on your brand was new? 9.8 or 9, 9.58. Dang. So he was a good, um, you know, a good chunk ahead of Donovan. But um, mm-hmm. both of them are just remarkable athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I going to say? Does she have the world record or she was like just off? The, yeah, because that was for the time you're quoting. That was from the world championships, wasn't it? That was just held. Uh, yeah. Or the qualifier. Sorry. She that was the Olympic qualifiers was she got a lot of buzz because she was like she beat the next person behind her by like a second. I think they said, I can't remember for sure, but yeah, like she's a big running. She's a big deal for the female running world. And she is quite fast and the Olympics will be lesser without her. It's just like we were taught. Yeah. It's also crazy too. just again, how stringent the Olympics are, like how many athletes are getting tossed aside for having Mm -hmm. higher level um, testosterone counts. That's something Is that, that the females. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, um, they're basically, I mean, according to the definition, now we're defining what chemically counts as a participant for women's Olympics. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's a lot of restriction. I'm not saying that yeah. it's wrong per se. I'm not saying it's right either, but uh, it's a lot of detail for something yeah, you like, know. I feel like it's something that it's like, you know, how what they say about good intentions, like the. I can't yeah. remember the road to something is paved with good intentions. good intentions. Oh, the road to ruin is paved with good intentions. Like, I feel like they kind of just made these rules to test for testosterone and stuff so that they could maybe weed out people who took like HGH like whom, yeah. human well, and I mean, again, stuff. yeah, there are limitations for reason, but there, there are limitations too that are, aren't for rational reasons. Like, wasn't there that one woman recently who was just allowed for the first time in Olympic history, allowed to breastfeed, uh, where she wasn't allowed pre- or like women weren't allowed to breastfeed at the Olympics previously. I can't remember the article. Um, but, yeah. uh, yeah, like- it's just, again, crazy amounts of restriction. I shouldn't say crazy per se, but like just, an extreme level of uh, Mm -hmm. restriction at the Olympics. And I mean, if you take like the guys who are in major league baseball, for instance, and tried to get them to play Olympic level uh, uh, baseball, would they even qualify with all the the drugs that they're on? Right. Like it's uh, sports are just so inconsistent in in terms of what the regulations are sometimes. Yeah. I think, I think it's just like, um, like what happened with Russia a couple of years ago with their whole thing. Like that's like, cause it's like you say, Oh, maybe you should ease up the Olympic, <laughs> just call them the Olympics. Hey, maybe ease up with all these like stringent 
rules that you have and all this stuff. And then Russia comes along and just yeah, like just exploits blows it for, Yeah, they blow it for everybody. Like they were corrupt to the point where in the test room they had a hole cut in the wall and they would just pass like the clean pee to the guy and then he would give it to the doctor or whatever. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and it was like it was like bonkers level corrupt so it's like you see that happen and then the olympics are like oh now we gotta be dicks about this because you ruined it for everybody yeah that's the other side of the coin isn't it yeah yeah but i don't know like i would say personally i would say let shikari run it should what they should do is like if like Maybe don't let her blast dubs right before the event. But I would say if you can find out how long ago those drugs were in her system, like because marijuana, at least to me, feels like something that the beneficial effects would only be like right away where it calms you down and stuff. So like if it happened a couple of weeks ago when she was dealing with her mother passing, I would say what's left in her system isn't really going to help her run. Well, and that's the question, too, is how long ago was it? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know. That's, that's <laughs> the big thing. It's, but it also, sucks. I guess you could see, say like all these people who are taking CBD for like the healing attributes like marijuana supposedly helps uh, take down inflammation and stuff. So it could help your muscles heal after you're running. So it could actually increase your training and efficiency and stuff. So I could kind of see like I'm. I could see how marijuana would tip the scales in your favor. So it's not like I'm I'm not going to be one of those people who's like, oh, you should just smoke weed or whatever. I'm like, I'm saying yeah, I could see how it would be beneficial for I the mean, athlete who took it. Against I hear what you're saying, Dale, but like I yeah. have never really seen documentation of like somebody saying weed hasn't enhanced my sports performance. Uh, I mean, that that's just me as a layman coming in and saying, or a lay person rather, and coming in and saying, I don't see how weed is going to make that much of a difference. I mean, sure, if it did, like, I'll, if there is science behind it, I'll, I'll acknowledge it. But like, yeah, if you, when I think of weed, I'm not thinking of, of somebody <laughs> in boosting their performance. I'm thinking yeah, of that's somebody true. who wants to chill the hell out, right? Yeah, so. I mean we we could all we would also have to like like if you look at the whole cbd thing and how they have like topical like the whole industry is yeah, exploding like with you talked about the russians uses. the russians aren't trying to hide cbd oil or, or that's weed. true they're they're trying to enhance themselves with like steroids and stuff <laughs> I yeah know. and that's not all russians obviously but like yeah it's well uh, yeah i'm not i'm not saying blowing dudes is gonna make this woman the six billion dollar woman i'm just saying i could see where there would be benefits i'm not saying they'd be great or maybe even if they would be enough to push her over the edge to win like because i feel like she would probably win even without it i'm just for the sake of giving my opinion saying i could see how if someone has access to like weed, CBD and all this other stuff, it would give them an edge to someone who doesn't, which is, I guess, I guess that's the whole point is you're trying to make it a level playing field for the poorer countries who have more stricter laws and stuff. So that yeah. would be, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, part of it comes down to uh, how are these restrictive rules that necessary? Um, mm-hmm. and are they due to change and are they there for the right reasons? Um, yeah, exactly. Like, I think 
Call smoking, me suspicious. Yeah, smoking so. weed should be legal around the world. But until it is, I could see how it's like a thing that they're not going to allow in the Olympics. So I used to work in um, mental health and addictions. And one thing that I learned, especially before that time, but during that time, is just how uh, much um, smoking uh, marijuana uh, during early stages of development in, in, in um, youth uh, can actually imp- impact or uh, in, in, induce um, uh, developing schizophrenia. Um, oh yeah, and so it's it's not always good, mm-hmm. uh, but um, you know I I'm very much a fan of uh, legalization uh, or at least decriminalization, mm-hmm. uh, and you know the 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 legislation that has been directed, especially to uh, you know um, disproportionately to um, poorer communities yeah uh, has been astronomically high and it just it's not there, it, there's so much politicization around weed uh and we just need to collectively uh do better and move beyond this because that the this false war on drugs is, is not helping anyone uh in my opinion yeah um, but i don't know I, at the same time too I, I wish some people would be careful and it's funny because like every kid i know has a weed story uh, or a former kid, I should say, but like, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, it, it still does impact people's health. Um, yeah, that's the same true. way alcohol does in a lot of ways. Yeah. Too, so I don't know. I'm just ranting at this point, but it's the purpose of the podcast, I guess. Yeah. Like I, I could see what you're saying. And that would be like another reason to maybe legalize it so they can sort of science the effects weed has on mental health and you could do experiments and stuff and figure yeah. out like, cause I know one of the things, cause I heard a little bit about like the schizophrenia and stuff and how weed can exacerbate it, but it's kind of like one of those things where they don't know if it, like they don't think it causes it. There's not they, enough science on it. That's the yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah, so they don't know if it would have happened without the weed and the weed yeah. was just kind of like a catalyst thing. So yeah. yeah, they should like just do science and figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> And we're getting there slowly but surely. But at the yeah. same time, too, um, at the same time, too, society is becoming way more comfortable. At least Canadian society is getting mm-hmm. way more comfortable with weed now. And oh, yeah. people and who even are like, against it are, are dabbling. So Yeah, exactly. Like, And even like with mushrooms and like other stuff like that, like uh, they're starting to decriminalize. I was going to say legalize, but I caught myself. They're starting to decriminalize that strictly for testing, too, so they could see how that affects like PTSD and other stuff like that. Do you know anyone who microdoses? Uh, currently, no. I mean, I was, I would, I kind of wanted to try to see what would happen. Like, I mean, like, we all just want to be happy. And if we can microdose and like, like, I'm not any worryable amount of unhappy at the moment. Like, I'm good. But I could like if it made me happier, that'd be cool. If it made colors brighter, then I could like watch superhero movies and enjoy them even more. Because that's one of my favorite part about like movies and TV shows like Loki, and I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, just let people do what they want. That's a big thing for me. But uh, yeah, especially if it helps some people. Yeah, and that's the thing is is, is my things are health related more than anything else. But yeah. Uh, 
Let, like, let's know. help. I feel people. for this girl, man. She's 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 gonna bounce back, but she's got yeah. the whole world looking at her right now. Yeah, and with the Olympics missing them, it's the hardest part about it is it's every four years. Like, I mean, this is kind of the one situation where it's lessened because these were supposed to happen in 2020. So now it's only going to be three years till the next Olympics. And she's only 21 now. So she's going to be 24 the next Olympics. So So theoretically, she she can bounce back. Yeah. Like she still has a shot to get her gold medal of her dream. Like if she was. Oh, I don't even want to guess how old athletes are when they can't go in the Olympics anymore. <laughs> like, you know, it's like it's one yeah. of those landmines where you're like, oh, well, don't you, see, just mo- say you this don't age. see most of them before the 30s, right? Like the most mm-hmm. of them are in their 20s at the very. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't want to guess how old a female runner should be before she quits sprinting. But I hey, know man, if they can do it at any age, they can. Yeah, do it. that's like, true. Like, I, I know sprinting would probably be like a young woman's game. Yeah, probably to state a cliche, but yeah. So like, I'm like, maybe this is like drives her mu- like even more. And she breaks some world records in three years. That'd be great. Yeah. Oh, she she'll probably come back and kick everybody's butt. Yeah. I hope it doesn't like adversely affect her and bum her out to the point where she like quits training and stuff. Yeah, I mean, if she's made it this far, I doubt she's going to mm-hmm. give up, but that's just my speculation. Or at least I hope so, man. I don't know. If, yeah. Again, I, white guys yeah. talking out of their butt here. What do we know, <laughs> right? But uh, mm-hmm. yeah. like she um, seems but, pretty level-headed about it. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, I used to run a little bit when I was younger, and that, that track time is, is inspiring. It's just so fast. And yeah, we just have some amazing out- athletes out there. It's just It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah what do you want yeah. to talk about next dude uh let's here i'm just gonna pull up my list of stuff to talk about so i wanted to have you on because you say you're not an expert in anything but you're like a real time like real life job does kind of make you an expert in one subject yeah so uh for those who aren't aware in addition to being a musician i'm also basically a social worker and workshop presenter for a nonprofit indigenous organization. Uh, I should start by saying that I am a first generation Canadian, uh, meaning uh, yeah, my, my father wasn't born in Canada. Um, oh, I mean, mine neither. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I come from English and German heritage and mm-hmm. uh, I am not indigenous, um, but I, and I'm the only non-indigenous person uh, who works for my organization. Uh, and what we try to do, um, the Survivor Society, we try to provide emotional and uh, cultural support to First Nations people and Indigenous people in general throughout BC and throughout Canada um, with regards to Indian residential schools, the 60s scoop, Indian day schools, uh, and the issue of missing, murdered, and Indigenous women and girls. And okay. uh, so... I, the principal task of my job right now is to provide um, workshops uh, with a survivor and we'll go into universities, uh, schools, um, businesses, and we'll talk about the history and impacts of Indian residential schools. So what I'll normally do is I'll talk and frame it in a historical context, and then the survivor will be able to give their firsthand account of their experience at Indian residential schools, what their life was like before, 
what their life was like during and what their life was like after Indian residential school. Um, I should also uh, say that I am using the phrase Indian in the context of historical. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about um, what terms are appropriate, of course. Uh, basically within Canada, the, the overarching current politically accepted term is indigenous uh, and that covers First Nations, um, Métis and Inuit. Um, but these are distinct groups. Um, and even within the context of First Nations people, uh, there are over 600 um, um, bands uh, that are, are unique and have their own individual cultures and identities. And there are something like 50 different unique languages. Um, so this is, this is not just a, a blanket entity uh, that we're talking about here, but this is the, 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 the legacy of um, the way our government has treated First Nations people is as one group. And so within the context of Indian residential schools, I have been very privileged and honored to be able to provide these firsthand accounts uh, along with survivors to uh, places to educate people. Um, I've also provided emotional support at a, a number of uh, hearings where, um, and a number of crisis counseling sessions as well, uh, where I've been providing emotional support to survivors. So I've, I've heard um, a significant number of uh, testimonies and accounts of um, the abuses that happened at residential schools. Um, this is not to say that this is my lived experience by any means, but just to say that I've heard these stories and that the experience is real. And, you know, these, these schools closed as late as 1996. And that's still a recent part of Canadian history. That's only 25 odd years ago there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so I just wanted to make sure that we had some conversations in this perspective that, you know, I, I'm not the be all expert. I will acknowledge that, uh, you know, I often uh, uh, refer to my colleagues uh, for information, but, uh, you know, I, I feel confident enough that I understand um, uh, at least some of the history and um, that it's worth talking about these things, that it's so important to have these conversations because, uh, you know, when we see on the news, all these kids popping up in, in unmarked graves, um, it, it's, it's so heartbreaking and we want to talk about it and we want to make progress. And especially within Canadian culture as a whole, we want to fix these things all right away. Uh, and we want to get to the bottom of it and all this. And so, uh, it is, it's such a big issue, but it's such something worthwhile talking about. And it's something I've been working with since 2013. I've been in this position in particular. And so I, I'm, I'm ready to talk about this. And I think that while everyone should actively listen to First Nations people and Indigenous people in general about their experiences and about their lived conditions even now, I think that it's important for every Canadian to have a discussion and to learn about these issues and to, to read the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's recommendations. I think that this is such um, an issue that we can, we, can, we can help with and we can acknowledge and we can make sure that the government um, is held accountable and, and, the, and then even the churches are held accountable for what happened because this is a real part of, of Canada. Um, that I, we don't want to 
just back away from, you know, it's, it's so important to listen, but it's also important to, um, to learn and talk about and make sure we engage with people. Um, because this isn't, this isn't just a, a them issue. This is an all of us issue at this point. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, there's some current events, of course, that have been uh, talking about this. And, and I, I guess I want to uh, start by, uh, you know, just saying that when, when we are talking about this, we're talking about a system that, you know, is still really fresh and has, has impacted every First Nations, uh, Métis and Inuit in this country in one way or another, either at the uh, personal level or the intergenerational level. And, uh, you know, 150,000 kids went through the system. Like that's half the population of Victoria, basically. Um, and it, you know, the, the kids on average were taken from the ages of usually four, five, six years old. You know, 1996, my kid's sister would have been um, six years old. Like that's the perfect time that they would have taken a kid to residential school. And I can tell you from what I've heard directly from survivors, you'll hear some people say, of course, oh, I didn't have as bad as others. And so not everybody's experience at residential school is the same, but I can, I can guarantee you that the instances of abuse and neglect uh, are real and significant at these institutions. And I use the word institutions because, you know, language is, language is important how we define things. You know, it's like we're talking about the nature, or I was talking, yammering on, of course, uh, we're talking about uh, the words that were used. So Indian residential school, these weren't schools that were designed uh, with First Nations people in mind. They were designed to assimilate First Nations people. So they weren't, the supervisors weren't necessarily uh, properly trained. Uh, the conditions weren't adequate. There was many instances of malnutrition, instances of uh disease experimentation with tuberculosis um and it's it's just crazy how oppressive these schools were um and you know not every school was the same of course but out of the i think 139 that are recognized by the government of canada and the 700 odd institutions that had models like this uh throughout north america uh it's it's intense. And these, these are real stories of people documenting the abuse with the TRC, documenting this, the abuse with the government, um, and documenting uh, the abuse uh, with their own communities and organizations like uh, my own. And so, uh, again, I can't speak for other people, but uh, the, the fact that people were talking about this, finally, I mean, I, I say finally, but like for me, it's only been eight years working with this organization. Uh, but for Indigenous people, it's been like their whole lives and their parents' whole lives and their, their grandparents' whole lives where they've, they've known about these grave sites, where they've known about the abuses that have happened. And uh, yeah, it's uh, so people are, are focusing on this. People are waking up. Of course, we had the 215 um, that were discovered in uh, Kamloops. We had the uh, 
the, the, that, that mass amount of uh, 751 in Saskatchewan um, and uh, a significant other ones that are, are, are being discovered in both Canada and the United States. Um, and this is, as some would say, just the beginning. Um, you know, the, there are estimates of four to uh, 6,000 uh, students that died at residential schools. And that was what was previously reported by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, that's not to say what the final numbers are. And we may never know what those final numbers are because the records at these institutions were so bad or they were uh, hidden. And so we're finding that now with uh, some of the records being released finally by the church. And we're seeing some movement and some discussion and I don't, uh, how did you feel, Dale, about Canada Day? How did you feel about uh, the orange that was seen, about the seas of orange that people were wearing, who were caring? How did you feel about, um, uh, about uh, hearing about these um, identifications? Well, for me, the hardest part always was, was I learned about this stuff in college. I can't remember. Like, it wasn't like a course that I took and I learned about. It, it was just something that kept coming up. And for me, even before Canada Day and when this all, like, once the Kamloops unearthing, I guess, uh, I don't know how you say it without sounding, without sounding terrible. I but think once, the issue is to say, you don't want to say discovery. You just want yeah. to say identification because yeah, like, exactly. people know this works. He has mm -hmm. So. Once that happened and everybody like started finding out about it, the most surprising thing to me was that people in Canada knew nothing about this. Like I had a friend being like, didn't people know their kids were gone? And I was like, oh, you don't know anything about this. That's horrible. So when they were like talking about canceling Canada Day before they actually did it, I was like, well, I don't know if we have to cancel the whole day because my whole reasoning was we don't want it to be indigenous people against Canada. Like it, I want it to be an us thing. Like we can't cancel Canada day cause we're all Canada. But then that minister spoke out and then I heard like rumblings of people trying to dismiss. Are you referring to the happened. one from uh, Calibut or rather none of it? Uh, no, I was talking to the one from Toronto. We talked about it last week. It was uh, Monsignor. I can't remember his name, but he had said that he like nobody talks about the good things that happen in these schools. And then, oh yeah, oh my god. Once that happened, I was like, okay, we need to cancel Canada Day because it's not like it's when you it's said beyond, sorry, I, should, I yeah. should interrupt. When you said minister, I thought you meant okay. like member of parliament. Oh, um, and I I misheard, so I apologize. No, that's so. fine. Um, so. My thing was before that, it was like people didn't know and you don't want to like shock the system. You, like it's, it's so hard because it's like something that we all need to talk about. Like it doesn't matter if we weren't personally attached to the whole travesty that happened because we can help fix it and help move on. So we should all be talking about it. But and then after that, uh, Monsignor spoke and basically pled ignorance and like kind of advocated for ignorance of it. I was like, okay, we need to cancel candidates sort of as a shock. So people could be like, we can't just ignore this anymore. We can't just be like, Oh, huff, huff. Some good stuff happened. Some people mm -hmm. didn't have it as bad. It's like, we kind of got to like get it out in the open. We all got to talk about it and we got to figure out how to move on. Like there was the, um, 
what was it? 94 calls to action that they came yep. up with. The with Truth that and Reconciliation thing. Commission, yeah. Yeah, so we should all be reading that. We should see how many of them we can personally affect. Like if there's, like, I haven't read them all. I kind of... Sp- um, was looking at it today because I was I was like oh I should read these before the podcast because but I didn't know there was 94 so it's like I can't read 94 and remember all these but so it's something we should all like at least take a browse of and like get familiar with the subject matter yeah and I then they did make a one-page mm-hmm. summary that's lurking around somewhere um okay but I I would have to look it up again but yeah they're the 94 I think is about 20 pages total mm-hmm. um you can so download the PDF online. Yeah. I'll put a link for that in the show notes after this. Um, kind of lost track of what I was talking about. Yeah. Sorry, so, yeah. oh no, that's fine. And then like the orange, like I bought a shirt, I think like I bought a every child matters shirt. Um, mm-hmm. I showed it off on one of the podcasts before, which Thank is, you. it's not like I'm saying, Hey, I did this and I made a difference. I'm like, Oh, this is an easy way. That's like an $18 hindrance to me but i can help make a difference and this is a good start spot to start and then well, every time i wear the shirt people will see it yeah talking about uh the orange shirt so first of all mm-hmm. awareness you know phyllis webstead uh uh jack she went to residential school uh and she went in an orange dress and they mm-hmm. took away the orange dress they cut her hair they you know um they did all the things they normally do in terms of processing uh, someone into that institution and they um, uh, she never got to see that orange dress again and of course within the context of residential school you know it was that 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 system of assimilation and so that that symbol of the orange shirt um, for the orange shirt society is one that's very prominent they are the orange shirt society started orange shirt day started the slogan every child matters and I know there's discussion over that slogan but the the simple crux of it is Every child does matter, especially mm-hmm. in this case, the indigenous children that didn't make it home from residential school and those survivors that did. Um, and so when you wear that orange shirt, you're spreading awareness. And if you buy the orange shirt from someone uh, who is either being charitable with the money or um, of indigenous, indigenous um, uh, ancestry themselves, uh, you are contributing to uh, positive indigenous uh, projects and communities. Um, so if, if, if that's the case, you know, like that's the thing, but even the awareness itself is important for having this conversation. My sister, uh, she is a three-year-old and she, uh, was out walking and they were wearing orange and this was before Canada day. And somebody came up to them and said, thank you for wearing orange. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my, my nephew was really confused. And he was just like, why, why is she thanking you? And so she had to take the time to talk to her three-year-old and, and, and say like, this is what happened at these schools. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine how tough that conversation would have been for her um, yeah. because it's so heavy, um, but it's so important. And, and he grasped it right away. He got it. He got that it was wrong. He said, I don't want that to happen to me. Mm-hmm. And like, it just breaks my heart hearing about it. Um, but like the truth of this is this is something even kids can talk about and understand at least at a cursory level um, just how wrong these institutions were. Um, and, you know, if we, if we have this awareness, if we talk about this, if we make efforts to work with first nations communities and people uh, you know, we can have better chance of, of those ideals we talk about for Canada that we want to, you know, the reason why we don't want to cancel 
Canada Day is because we want to stand up for these good things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's no sense in having a party when you're also having a funeral. Uh, um, and uh, it's, 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 it's rough, man. I, I don't know. Like, and so with, of course, the reason why we're, we're bringing this up is so people had these, these memorial events for um, the children who uh, didn't make it home from residential school. Uh, and you know, it's, uh, I, I never understand why, like people would think it was okay that schools were designed with graveyards in mind. Like it just, yeah. like, that's clearly something that says, no nope, red flag. Don't, not a good idea. Um, but, uh, you know, the reason why we're talking about this, of course, is that there were instances across the country recently, uh, of, uh, uh of vandalism uh simply put um mm-hmm. and uh I, I guess i'll let you talk about more of the details of it um but uh you know significant damages to statues um uh, and uh even uh one totem pole in uh in victoria near the Malahat. Yeah, uh, this is actually one of the reasons, like, some people right now who, after you went through all that, which was very informative, a lot of people are like, why is this discussion on the end of my dick and fart podcast? And the reason is because it's kind of, it's like, I didn't want to have this discussion, not because I'm scared to talk about it or anything, but because I didn't want to basically sully the subject matter with what it's sandwiched next to. So actually, Wesley had talked to me a while ago. He was like, if you want me to come on and talk about this on a segment on the podcast, I will. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I feel like it might get lost in like the poo-poo humor, basically. But then like I was talking about that uh, Monsignor in Ontario and then these statues getting busted. And it feels like it was like a subject that keeps making its way onto the podcast in it's something that people are upset about and everybody's outraged. And so I just kind of wanted, I was like, fine, let's do it. Let's have this big conversation because I can't really say we should all be talking about this when I'm not willing to talk about it on the podcast. So that was basically, that's basically why it's here. Yeah. And I don't mean to bum anybody out by these conversations. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, I remember (laughs) when I first started with my organization, I actually got kicked out of a house party one time because uh, oh, really? this one person was just like, don't talk about that stuff here. And mm-hmm. I guess I was like 2015 or something like that that happened. And, yeah. you know, it's not easy. It's not comfortable mm-hmm. things, but this is, this is part of Canada and it's affecting all of us right now. Uh, yeah. And you know what? Uh, and, and this may sound like an oversimplification. Some of the first nations people are awesome. They're, they're, uh, wonderful to hang out with. They're wonderful to talk to. They're some of the funniest people you ever meet. Uh, they're very uh, like I mean, it's it's they're they're people. They're they're they are um, you know worth the time. They're worth caring about, just like anyone is. Even even your family, even your your friends. It's it's First Nations people are part of the Canadian society, and and uh, it's and. There, it's not, I say First Nations people, but there are so many different um, uh, cultures in indigenous communities that, uh, that we, we blanket with these terms. And so, hmm. like, yeah, this is something we want to talk about because this is a great cultural mosaic we have that we want to take 
and, and recognize if someone's hurting, we want to be supportive, right? And I don't know about you, but like even the concept of a child of any uh, ethnicity uh, is getting hurt upsets me. And so, you know, when we talk about this, we talk about people being reactionary, right? We talk about um, the reactions of um, hearing these news and, and people wanting, I mean, how many how many Facebook posts have I seen about saying either tax the church or, you know, you know, basically create trials and, and punish all these people who, who, who worked at the residential schools or, you know, for people who are very vocal about, you know, extreme change and notions, mm -hmm. you know, and so you see these actions and I'm not saying that these attitudes are wrong or right. I'm just saying these are the reactions I'm, I'm seeing out of some people sometimes. Uh, and yes. so you see these and then you see people who are pulling down statues. So you got the one at Ryerson, you got uh, Queen Victoria uh, being thrown paint on. You had Queen Victoria and Queen Elizabeth in Winnipeg being torn down. I think there was one in, in uh, Saskatchewan too. Um, and then, of course, uh, the church is being burnt down throughout uh, B.C., uh, mostly Catholic institutions, not to mention vandalism in Vancouver and other places in BC on Catholic churches. And uh, of course, uh, the, the one that I don't know if it's been getting enough attention is, is the, the attempted burning of the totem pole on the Malahat on Vancouver Island. And um, personally, I, I don't know. Like, I think statues are stupid in general. I just think mm. public art installations are way more effective of spreading community enthusiasm. Yeah. Um, but uh, regardless, it's, I mean, this is the other thing too, is I wonder if like Canadians are sometimes reactionary because of the way Americans are reactionary um, or if it's authentically Canadian. Um, but either way, this is intense. What's happening? I mean, statues mm -hmm. getting teared down, things getting burnt. I don't know. What do you think? Well, one of the ones you didn't mention, I'm not pointing it out, is Captain Cook, which was on uh, the island, which yep. I that was downtown Victoria. Yeah. Personally, I don't know how much he would have had to do with residential schools, if anything. But like he's a terrible person in his own regard, like he actually ended up dying in Hawaii because he had an altercation with the indigenous people of Hawaii and he was basically being a dickhead. So they killed him. So. And my thing with the Queen Elizabeth one and two statues that got ripped down, it's like it's it's a touchy thing. But I think it might be the point where we go as a country, we kind of band together and go full independence. Like it's hard to talk about like residential schools without getting into like colonization and stuff like that. And like maybe um, like First Nations peoples, like their culture being suppressed by the people who came in and colonized them. So one thing that would probably help and even help Canada get its own identity is to leave the Commonwealth and not have this like weird quasi monarchy thing, monarchist thing where we have, where it's like, we're our own independent country, but we still have the queen on our money because she could still, there's some rules on the books that she could somehow change what we do over here with like the lieutenant general or something i mean it's been grade nine since i heard about this but i think what we could do is we could just get rid of that altogether, and that would actually probably help the healing in a sense because it would be it would be severing the ties 
from basically what started everything. And that was yeah. like the colonization. I mean, I think at a constitutional level, that's a lot of work. Um, yeah. And well, I'm so, not saying it's going to be easy. And I think that there are enough loyalist boomers out there still mm-hmm. that you're not going to see that change, at least uh, until there's a huge generational shift. Yeah. Um, but that's just my opinion. Um, I think the, the thing of it, though, is like Britain in a lot of ways has washed its hands of Canada. Like, yeah, I mean, sure, they're going to make uh, a comment saying, like, oh, maybe don't tear down statues of Queen Elizabeth, please. Um, but we feel bad for indigenous people. But, uh, you know, like Britain, Britain doesn't care. Uh, Britain doesn't mm-hmm. have anything to do with this anymore, except for maybe some trade. Uh, and I, I'm being maybe hyperbolic in that sense. But, uh, you know, the legacy of, of colonialism is now a Canadian thing. Um, yeah. And so it's I don't know, man, like it, I think the, the thing for me right now, the interesting focus is like. You've, you've had apologies. So the last one from the government of Canada was 2008 with Stephen Harper. Um, and prior to 2008, um, every other denomination that was involved with residential schools has formally apologized for their involvement with um, the uh, residential school system. So we're talking Anglicans, uh, Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, United. Um, we're the only one who has not formally apologized is the Catholic church. And there have been instances uh, of apologies. So the, the archdiocese of Vancouver recently apologized, same thing with the, an, uh, a bishop in Colum- or Kamloops rather. Um, and uh, you know, the, the Pope made a very uh, lukewarm acknowledgement uh, that people were really pissed about of the people of Kamloops, uh, but it was very paternal and very uh, disrespectful to First Nations people, in my opinion, mm-hmm. but I'm not uh, necessarily representative of everyone. Um, but, uh, you know, the other, the other thing, too, is like not all First Nations people have the same beliefs. Not all of them have feel the same way uh, about issues. And but I think the one thing that First Nations people agree on is how devastatingly horrible Indian residential schools were. And so when you see this, you kind of wonder whether or not these uh, instances of vandalism are justified or if they're um, acts of aggression or if they're motions by non-Indigenous people um, or if, um, you know, that these are symbols that need to be taken down. If these are symbols that are as oppressive as civil rights or civil rights, uh, civil war uh, racists, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, if, if I had to walk past somebody who was like entirely responsible for like degrading uh, my family every day, I'd be pissed. I'd be so mad. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, you know, I'm speaking from a position of privilege here. Um, we need to amplify indigenous voices and get their their opinions on these things. Um, and it, again, I come back to it. In truth of the matter, it's just a friggin' statue. Like, don't make any more statues, and you know, invest in public art, invest in people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like there's better things to do than hero worship somebody who's gonna inevitably have problems. Um, I don't know your thoughts yeah i'm the same way like i don't really see 
Like on one hand, like we talked about this at length, I think maybe one or two years ago when the whole tear down John A. McDonald statue started, like that discussion started. And my whole point was it's like in the end, it's just a statue like you've been saying, and it doesn't matter. But uh, but you can't deny iconography and what the face of basically an oppressor would do in the mind of a person. Like you said, if you're walking by a statue of the person that's held down your family, it's just going to like, even if you're not conscious of what it's doing to you, there's somewhere in your heart, like your heart of hearts that feels a little bit of pain every time you see that face. So should we get rid of all these statues? Maybe like, I'm not saying we should or we shouldn't, but we should definitely open a discussion about it. Like, why do we have a statue of Captain Cook? It's like it's like a good way to see this is not necessarily the Civil War statues in the States, but the Christopher Columbus stuff. Like we've had a whole paradigm shift on Christopher Columbus to the point where like everybody's starting to recognize that, hey, this guy was a dickhead. We don't need to have these statues of him. And I'm not saying like get rid of all the Christopher Columbus statues or whatever, because I don't think we have any in Canada, but that all came about because people started airing their grievances and talking about it. And it's not like it was like a 200 or a 300 year secret that Christopher Columbus was a dickhead. It was just people weren't talking about what he did. That was so bad. And then eventually people were like, look, we need to talk about what happened and what was bad. And then, Everybody's like, all right, that is bad. We should get rid of him. We'll rename Columbus Day. We'll get rid of all this stuff pertaining to him. And that's something we should be doing up here. Like, should we have statues of Queen Elizabeth one and two in Winnipeg for whatever reason they're there? Should we like they've started renaming schools and stuff, which is good. Like any problematic person who had something named after them, they're renaming them, which is fine. Like people think it's it's weird because people think it's more of a big deal than they did. Like, I think, where was it? There used to be in Ontario, there used to be like a name of a little town after every major city in the world. So I think we had Hamburg, Ontario or something, but when world war two happened, we just changed the name because we didn't want that problematic thing. So it was like, it's something as obvious and easily done as that. This all all this other stuff with these statues can be the same way where it's like we did love these characters once we found out they're problematic. So now we're going to get rid of them. And the other thing, too, is it's while it's very important to acknowledge these things and have conversations, the more important conversation is the quality of life of all Canadians, especially indigenous people in this instance. So, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, it changing a street sign does not clean the water systems that are impacting indigenous communities. Um, uh, Changing uh, the statue does not promote education uh, within our public school system to provide adequate history on first nations peoples. Um, Those are things that are way more important in the sense that, we're talking about the, you know, real experience. Education and awareness is like crucial. And that's part of the reason why I do the job I do is because mm-hmm. I think that, you know, helping people in need is important. Uh, and talking about this history, I mean, I don't know about you, you talked about it being when you were in college, but I think we had like 
half a page on First Nations history in my my social studies textbook. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's not good enough. Like these are this is this, this is a real this is real Canadian history. This is, this is not even Canadian history. It's real uh, current uh, Canadian society. And I mean, I don't know. Canada has a really weird legacy for um, reshaping its identity because we've we've got so much uh, in terms of ridiculous things that we don't talk about. So there's the Chinese head tax. There's the Chinese building the railway. There is the Komagata Maru. Um, there is the internment of the Japanese uh, during the Second World War. And like these are just some of the issues that pertain to marginalized communities in Canada that we kind of gloss over with our, um, you know, Canada is so friendly, so nice, and mm-hmm. so peaceful. And I mean, it's not changing anything. We're, we still have these ideals. But we have to keep perspective and we have to keep talking about things uh, in a way that's meaningful. And I think that's more important than uh, a statue uh, or or changing the name of a street sign. Yeah, I'm, it's uh, and maybe I'm maybe I'm letting people off the hook. Maybe I as you know, what was, what's the idiot from the conservatives name is Aaron O'Toole. Um, yeah. You know, he was talking about like. This is not the way we do reconciliation. So how, what is reconciliation? Why is a white guy dictating what the face of reconciliation should look like? I think Aboriginal consultation or in, uh, you know, working with Indigenous communities is, is so important. And, and if we're going to talk about these issues, we don't want to... Like we've been, we've been talking with the same brush for years, right? Like that's yeah. why we have the, the way the Indian Act works. It's, and like, I don't know, man. It's, uh, I think for some, it's a shame that it took finding dead kids for people to wake up to the way we talk about indigenous people in this country. It's a shame that it wasn't something uh, sooner. Um, But at the same time, at least we're here, at least we're talking about it. And uh, yeah, thank you for taking the time to talk about this too. Hey, no problem. Um, I mean, it's the least I could do. I want to pretend like my podcast has our podcast, sorry, has a giant reach, but <laughs> any, but any, any way I could get the word out, I'm more than happy to. And I just wanted to point out before you're talking about the clean waters thing, there are first nations uh, communities in Canada right now who don't have clean drinking water. And that's, is a separate subject, but it's still something we should be talking about. Like everybody in Canada should have access to clean drinking water. I mean, we've got oceans on three sides. We've got more fresh water in Canada than any other country in the world. We should be able to give these people clean water. And that's, yeah, like that's something you could focus on if you need to. But um, what? Like you think well, that people who get caught um, inevitably, I mean, it's hard to know whether or not the police will find people who tore down statues or burnt the churches or burnt the totem pole. It's hard to know whether or not they'll they'll prosecute them. But do you think, mm-hmm. A, that this should be the resources we're spending to find these people? Should we how how and then like what's what are the the outcomes that uh are, are going to happen for people who are like uh, potentially uh, uh, charged with 
burning down or no or not burning down but uh tearing down the statue like let's say there's photo evidence of the of somebody who tore down a statue in victoria of, of cook in front of the mm-hmm. empress hotel they have the statue they've torn it down boom they find this person like that's, what's gonna happen to that person what should happen to that person i think they get charged with vandalism but i don't know because i don't know if that would actually damage the statue just tearing it over because i'm pretty sure they threw it into the bay or the, yeah. the harbor there well i mean it's made out of copper or bronze or whatever so you could just pick it up basically and put it back so i think they'll get charged with like vandalism but it's not like they shattered like a hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff like when it comes when it comes to the end of it, it's like that statue's still a statue. It might have a couple dents, but like the money figure of the damage that's done to that statue isn't gonna be as high as say burning down a church or something. So I feel like I don't know, like I I've never heard of although I haven't really looked into it too much, like when they were tearing down statues of John A. McDonald, like I was talking about before, I never heard what happened to the people who actually tore it down. I don't know if it's kind of like a, it was a mob. People got like up at it or if they like throw the book at one particular like ringleader of it. It's hard to say. Like, I think. Yeah, it's, it's a trippy, yeah. tricky topic. I mean, the reason why I bring it up is because like these are realities we're going to have to deal with in the mm-hmm. next uh, coming weeks. It's like, let's say there's a dude who does get charged. What's the government going to decide? What What are the mayors? What are the police going to decide? Is there political obligation you know and so i would say more than anything my opinion is watch your political figures watch your police mm-hmm. uh, very closely because it will be very telling how canada how each city um uh is committed to reconciliation based on their reactions yeah and i guess another thing a closing point i would like to say is just stand together like we're all one people yeah. And the way groups of people are beaten is they're divided by the powers that be, whether it's someone who wants to keep this quiet or something like the easiest way is to get in fighting in the group. But if we don't let that happen and we all kind of persist at wanting to talk about this and move forward with it, then we will. So, yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. And uh, I think, you know, as as I said, although it's, devastating to hear about um these graves and all the children that died at residential schools um ultimately focusing on these issues and working with indigenous communities will be for the benefit of us all and i think that Mm -hmm. it's it's something we need to we need to focus on returning these kids home because there never should have been grave sites at these schools and we need to focus on improving the lives of indigenous communities and all canadians in this sense and so, yeah, that's that's kind of my two cents. And I, I mm-hmm. do appreciate you taking the time, Dale. I know it's hey, not no an problem. easy topic and I know it's two white guys talking, but yeah, uh, you know, these are real issues. Yeah, it's like it's like what I said before. It's like I didn't want to bring it up because I felt like I would somehow disrespect the, co- the content of the discussion. But on the other hand, you got to bring it up because it's something everybody should be talking yeah. about. Uh, and I've seen it brought up yeah. on a hockey podcast. I've seen it brought mm-hmm. up on uh, by by businesses. You know, uh, it's it's this has gotten international attention, and it's good. Mm-hmm. It's good that people are talking about it. It's sad as all hell 
but it's good people are talking about them. Yeah. I guess before we go, I just wanted to ask you, is there any way you know of that people can like kind of help out either financially or like volunteering their time or anything? Yeah. Uh, um, I'm not about to tell people what to do, um, mm-hmm. but uh, at the same time, I'll tell people what to do. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, you want to actively listen to Indigenous people when they're talking about these histories. You want to amplify Indigenous uh, speakers and organizations. Um, you know, there, there's friendship centers all across this country uh, who could use support. Um, there's also groups like the Survivor Society uh, who uh, operate international crisis lines, or not international, but national crisis lines. Um, mm. And, you know, right now these crisis lines are 24 hours. Um, so like there's a lot of uh, people who, who need support. And so these organizations could use support. Um, there are, are organizations for um, indigenous people who are suffering. So a lot of people don't realize that it's not like all First Nations people live on the res or anything. There's a huge indigenous urban population. Um, and that, that's to say that, you know, people in, in our city of Vancouver need support. And so these are organizations that exist. And with a, with a couple Google searches, you can find the organizations in your area. Um, but the Survivor Society, Reconciliation Canada, um, and, and Friendship Centers are good places to start. Um, you know, I mean, there, there's organizations like uh, the Aboriginal Mother Center, which is, is, is a great one. Um, and uh, financial donations are great and they have options for, for monthly donations too. Um, but also, you know, working beyond that, reading the TRC's recommendations and there are shorter summaries, uh, and trying to implement them, talking to people, writing to members of parliament or, um, writing to, uh, local officials makes a difference, right? Um, if you keep doing that you know, you'll get somebody's attention. And that's important, being being actively vocal. And uh, I guess the last one too is, you know, and this is something regardless of the community, it's important to stand up to prejudice. It's important to stand up to instances of stereotype uh, and to, um, you know, not let people to suffer on their own. Don't turn a blind eye if there's something, blind eye if there's something going on. Um, you know, we're... We want to we want to make things better, and so it takes a bit of action. It doesn't take an arm and a leg. Nobody's asking you to sacrifice anything, but they're asking you to to step up, so to speak. And I think uh, that's that's the least we as Canadians can do. So, okay, cool. Thanks a lot. Uh, yeah. Thanks for sharing all your knowledge, and that was great. And uh, I'm sorry to yammer on about things. I know oh, I'm no. getting a little more detail than I probably should. Uh, uh, anyone... It's detail people should know. Action. Yeah, if anyone does yeah. want to learn about the organization, the website is irsss.ca. Um, but again, the, the TRC has information and uh, there is the uh, a UBC, there is the Indian Residential School History and Dialogue Center. Uh, and then there in, in Winnipeg, there's the uh, National Center for Truth and Reconciliation, which are immense educational resources and, and record keeping. So if you want to learn about it, it's there. There is tons of history, tons of documentation on this issue. So, yeah. 
All right. That's good to know. Uh, I'll put links to all these places in the show notes. So uh, if you're listening to this or watching this on YouTube, just go to the description and you can find a link there. Um, Yeah. So it's kind of weird to just, I want to say before we stop, Mm -hmm. these are tough topics we've talked about Mm -hmm. in every sense of the word. Uh, Take the time to decompress, take the time to debrief. I know it sounds mm-hmm. hippy dippy, but self-care is so important. You want to make sure that, you know, you can, you can function, you can interact and engage with people in a positive way. So just take the time to ground yourself, be that some deep breathing, going for a walk, talking to somebody else about what you learned about decompressing debriefing can really help um, in terms of dealing with, with, emotion and even if that emotion is not like right on the Mm -hmm. surface just taking the time because this ain't easy what we're talking about so yeah uh, thank you again but even you dale take the time make sure you're Mm -hmm. in a good place because uh you know yeah this is happy and healthy this is subject matter that is heavy on your heart and you don't want it to affect the way you interact with someone like i'm not gonna go to the store and just go get in a big fight with someone because i'm in a emotionally vulnerable place and like you were saying it is good to take some deep breaths maybe take some time to like even if you're not a meditative person it's nice to just kind of sit in a in a room by yourself or even even if you have to go to like a good place to go is like your car or the bathroom and then where people won't bug you and just take like a couple minutes to breathe let your thoughts kind of flow see where they end up and yeah just calm let yourself be calm and kind of try to process this and yeah don't let it drag you into the darkness basically yeah yeah and there's always someone to talk to and there's always places to learn um learn from and gather resources so uh you're not alone you're not alone in this you know there are resources so Mm -hmm. remember that and thank you again dale for for no problem making the effort Uh, I think, I think we're just going to end it there. I'm not going to do all this social media stuff. So yeah, (laughs) uh, everybody have a good day. Um, And thank you. Thanks again for teaching us all about this. Wes, you got it. Yeah. Again, I'm not an expert, but I'm here for you.